Tonight we'll be looking at John 17. We're going to do a topical tonight, which means we're going to jump all over Scripture. And so you just get your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. Normally introduce the text. There's not much to say about this, but you know, of course, John, the one Jesus loved is how he referred to himself, wrote this great book. He was one of the inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they were with the Lord at the lowest point in his ministry, fallen asleep when they were supposed to be praying, and they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the highest uh, point physically and geographically, um, probably not the highest point in the ministry of Jesus, but they, they had been with Jesus during those really interesting times, and uh, John wrote this. Uh, of course, we, we remind you this was under the inspiration of God, John chapter 17, and uh, great book. So when you have that stand, we'll read just a verse, John chapter 17, and it will be as I said, going to several portions of Scripture this evening. I've entitled this Life as a Journey. This morning I referenced Abraham and his journey. And that's how early Christians viewed uh, life, as a journey, like, like Father Abraham. Here he says in John chapter 17 and verse 16, he says this simply here. It says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Lord, that we'll learn something to apply to our lives. Help us to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us, not just today, but as we learn this morning, day in and day out, we need to depend on him. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, 1 John chapter 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So many believers are attached to this world. They've got to love their houses, would hate to leave their houses. I have a retirement home that's out of this world. And uh, so I look forward to leaving this world. And God just sort of makes it to where we get in life where we look forward to heaven as we get older and we realize this world doesn't have anything for us. It's just a temporary place because we're just pilgrims passing through. We, we know the Bible says, set your affection on things above and not on the things of the earth. Look at John 17, 14. First of all, I want to mention several things. First of all, our lifestyle is not welcome in this world. John 17, 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus also says, marvel not if they hate you, they hated me. You see, we're not part of this establishment. We're not part of this philosophy is what the word, word world here means. We're not part of the thinking of the people in this world. We're different. We're called out. We're pilgrims and, and we're pressing on and we have a, a, a home, a citizenship in heaven. And that's what we're going to turn now to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. What a great practical book Philippians is. Chapter 3 and verse 20. And we know this verse. It says here in 320, for our conversation is in heaven. Now, that can be translated, as you know, citizenship. It's the word politumia, which is our word politics actually comes from this, but it, it means our connection. Our citizenship is not here. You understand that? We're citizens of heaven. Uh, while I'm a citizen of America, and I'm thankful for America, even though we see her just kind of falling away and, and falling apart, and uh, we, we are still thankful to be Americans where we can worship, you know, and I've lived in a lot of places, traveled a lot of places. My, my kids were in the underground church in China. 
And, and when I was in Japan, we have freedom to worship, but the Japanese didn't uh, understand Christianity and, and they worshiped their ancestors. And, and in Panama, the, the culture was so depraved and living in these different places and experiencing these experiences, I was thankful to be an American. I, I really was, and I still am because we have this freedom, but don't get too connected. We're just here temporarily. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. I have a friend that preaches a message. He calls it soap bubbles. He says, everything in this world is like soap bubbles. You finally get a hold of it and it falls apart. Pop, it's gone. And that's kind of how life is. We get all excited about something in this world and we get whatever it is we're excited for. Before you know it, it doesn't interest us anymore. The new car, exciting for a while. After a while, you know, it breaks down or it gets old or you, you rip it or dent it. And it's just, we have to realize that our citizenship is not here. Look at Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. I'm sure you're familiar with this portion of scripture, Matthew chapter six and verses 19 and 25. In Matthew chapter six, verse 19, and I love this, it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Lay not up for yourselves. We don't need to stockpile things in this world. Now you say, pastor, sometimes the scripture teaches to save, it does. But when we stockpile, we're supposed to stockpile with a purpose. It's okay to save, to buy your house, to buy your car, to buy whatever, rather than going in debt for everything. We're impatient, we want everything now, so we borrow money and all that to get the things now. It's okay to save money for those things. It's okay to, to invest in retirement. But when we stockpile, we're supposed to stockpile with the purpose. And there's a place where you just stop stashing money and start using your money for the Lord. There's a lot of people that don't get that. They keep stockpiling and stockpiling. They leave a ton of money behind for their kids. And there, there's surveys out there. You understand this. There are things, statistics that say that people who are given a lot of money don't amount to as much as someone who has to work hard. Just at some point in time, just study with Hollywood actors' children. They've been given millions. They've been given everything. And what happens? Drugs, alcohol, one relationship after another. You know, when I turn my cell phone on the, mor on the morning, you know, it has all those headlines that pop up. And, of course, I, I seldom go into one unless it's a local thing. But, you know, you find, well, so-and-so is now married to this other person. I mean, now it's... A-Rod and, and Jennifer Lopez. And it wasn't too long ago. No, it's not them anymore. It's Jennifer Lopez and some other actor. What's his name? Anyway, I read that the headline. Thank you. You read the story. I just read the headline. I'm picking on mine. But we know that, you know, when you leave your kids a bunch of money, how many times we see people who leave their kids a lot of money and their kids don't amount to anything. I could name families right now in the tri-state area who have a lot of money and made it easy for their kids and their kids are on drugs, their homes have broken up. And so we need to realize that everything we do with money has to be God anointed. I mean, we have to pray about saving, how we save and why we save. Look at verse 25. Therefore say unto you that take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink nor yet for your body what you should put on. Is not the life more than this meat and the body than raiment? There's more than food and clothing and shelter, we could add. 
I mean, there's, there's a purpose God gives us money and we need to utilize it for the Lord. And I don't think I've preached on actually tithing since I've been here in two years. But there's enough scripture to, to teach us that we need to be generous people for the Lord's work to help the needy and to give to missions. We understand that. It's clear in scripture. And so there's, there's no need to store up a lot in this life. We need to store in heaven. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up, up treasures in heaven. We know scripture teaches that. And the investment's going to be wonderful when you get there. Uh, I think of all the people who came to know the Lord on the mission field. I had some great experiences and names of people that I've written down that have been saved and are living for the Lord, some in ministry. And, and I think about those who made it possible for me to get to the mission field. And you know what Philippians chapter four says? The fruit of my ministry is on the account of those who sent me over there. So there's definite fruit and reward in giving. Now, third, our responsibility in this world is threefold, is threefold. Look at Philippians 2.15, Philippians 2.15. First of all, according to the book of Philippians, chapter two and verse 15, we're to shine as lights. Philippians 2.15 says this, that ye may not, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So we're supposed to shine as lights. That's part of our responsibility. The world is in darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I mean, the people of the world are lost. They're in darkness. And here we're to be blameless and we're to be harmless. We're to shine as lights. You know, the Lord lives in us. Everywhere we go, we're a Bible. I love 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. Ye are our epistle, known and read of all men. You're not written. We're not written with the spirit of ink on tables of stone, but with the spirit of God on tables of the heart. And I think I misquoted that. But you know what that's saying? We're a Bible everywhere we go. We're a flashlight. We're the light of the world. Jesus said he was the light of the world, but when he went away, he said, now ye are the light of the world. And interesting, he said that one time when they were having the lighting ceremony for Hanukkah, and he used the object lesson, I'm the light of the world. Later, he said, you're the light of the world. And so we understand our responsibility, first of all, is to shine as lights. Then we're going to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Second of all, to pass the time in fear, to pass the time in fear. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. He says, and if you call on the Father who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, he says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Notice the word sojourning. We're just traveling through. Pass the time in fear. Now, this is a word you know. It's the Greek word phobia. We get our word, our phobos, we get our word phobia. That's an intense fear. Now, what does that mean? We're told in Revelation that, you know, fear, the fearful will go to hell. We're told not to be afraid. We're told to have faith, trust in the Lord, and all those things. So why would he say that? Well, let me say this. When you're disobedient to God, you had better have some phobia in your life. We said this morning, God chastens his people. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
And when you're not living right, you'd better have some fear. Because the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees what you're doing and he will chasten you. That's why we have to have the fear of God. We don't have to fear God when we're right. Hey, when you're right with the Lord and your sins confessed and you're serving him and you're singing his praises and praising him and you're, you're reading your Bible and you're doing the right thing, you don't have to shake in your boots. But when you do the wrong thing, I feared my dad. I loved my dad. We did a lot of fishing together. But when I did something wrong, I was afraid to go home. I was afraid when I knew my mother would tell my dad. And that's a good thing to have some fear because I knew my dad would discipline me. And I was afraid of him in that way. Now, I wasn't afraid of my dad when I was doing the right thing. I loved my dad. He'd take me to ball games and he'd go fishing with me and he supported me in my sporting events. And so it was a great thing to have a Christian father. But when he found out I did something dishonest, I was afraid. And that's what he's saying here. We're supposed to hear, it says, pass the time in fear. Remember that God is always watching. I didn't want to disappoint my earthly father. Uh, I remember when I graduated from college, he came down and, and uh, <clears throat> the first time I graduated uh, from college, he came and, and uh, I remember afterwards he shook my hand. He had tears in his eyes. He says, I I'm so proud to have a son that's a college graduate. And uh, he didn't make it to other graduations I had, but he was there. And I never, I'll never forget that one of the best things, the best feelings about graduating was to see the joy and the, the pride, not a sinful pride, but the thankfulness, I should say. We should use the word thankful, not proud. The thankfulness in my dad's eyes. He was so proud that I'd gone to college. He probably remembers all the times I got in trouble. He probably remembers in elementary school when they'd call him in and say, your son just can't pay attention. He's not, he's not learning. I had ADD. I, I was just daydreaming. All, I had a great time school daydreaming. Never got anything from the teacher. I was daydreaming all the time. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with daydreaming. They say it's good for you to daydream, but I did it all day in school. And then I went home and played. Uh, and I did do my homework and it was so hard for me. And I know my dad had to think, boy, what are we gonna have to do with him? So you could imagine the joy in his heart. So we pass the time in fear and the word sojourning, we point out again. Then verse chapter two and verse 11 of 1 Peter says here in 2.11, dearly beloved, I love how Peter talks to his followers. I beseech, I beg you as strangers and pilgrims. There it is. We're again, pilgrims, strangers in this world. Isn't that interesting? We're called strangers. The world looks at us and thinks we're nuts. We look at them and we know they're nuts. But we're strangers here. The world doesn't love us. They wish they could get rid of us. There are people, if they could close all churches in America and get rid of all Christians, they would. One day we're going to be gone. We're going to just leave this place and they'll have their way and they'll see what it's like without all these little temples with the Holy Spirit walking around. I believe Christians in this world hinder a lot of bad from happening. Our prayers and our lifestyle are good. But here it says, here it says to abstain from filthy lust. I didn't read the rest of the verse. As pilgrims and, and strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fil, uh, fleshly, excuse me, fleshly lust, which war against the soul. This morning we preached pretty hard. Uh, I know that some of you were like kind of taken back. I saw heads down and, 
embarrassment maybe on faces. We were pretty explicit. We were pretty direct in our, in our approach. I say we, me and the Lord, I guess, because uh, it was me. But, but I, I recognize the harshness of the message this morning, the reality of all of it. But I believe it was necessary. The Lord laid it on my heart. But notice what the fleshly lusts do. They war against the soul. Now remember, we're made of uh, body, soul, and spirit. And a good way to remember that is to, to study the tabernacle of the temple, how there's an outer court that's like our body. And anyone could come in the outer court. The Gentiles could come in there. The women could come in. Not that women are lesser than men, but Jews had these, these rules. And, and the outer court was a place they could buy and sell, you know, and trade. And, and not, if they cheated people, it made the Lord angry. We know that. He took advantage. They took advantage of people when, when they traveled for the, day, the, the Passover. They'd sell animals for high prices. Currency exchange, they'd take advantage of people tra transferring their currency. And the Lord got mad about it. But the outer court's kind of like our body. We learned this morning about our body, Right? And then you have the holy places, which is like our soul. It's the seat of your emotions. Quite often we use soul and spirit interchangeably. But the most holy place is really the spirit. Capital S, capital S for the Holy Spirit, but the small S for the spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. That's the place where God meets. It's somewhere in there. We, we sometimes say it's the, the heart or the bowels. We really can't actually identify exactly where it is. But you know your soul is the seat of emotions. And the Bible tells us the soul can sin. But the spirit is that most holy place where God dwells. And it's so wonderful when you're saved, he moves inside of you. And so he says that these fleshly lusts war against the soul. It just hurts you emotionally. It hurts you to have these things predominant in your life. So he says, abstain from these. They war against the soul. And then fourthly, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. We mentioned our lifestyle is not welcome in this world. Our citizenship's in heaven. Our responsibility is threefold. We gave you three things to shine as lights, to pass the time in fear, and to abstain from filthy lust. And finally, our future, our future is a city made by God. Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. I love this passage. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Isn't that something? Abraham, pack up. And he and little Sarah get their little Winnebago, and they get the bumper hitch, and, and they hook the little Volkswagen on the back of it to travel across the desert, and they pack all their stuff, and their livestock follow along, and Gas wasn't that high back then. They had gas. They just didn't know how to get it out of the ground. But, uh, and he packed up and he just had to say, we're leaving. And can you imagine Sarah? Well, I like this place. Where are we going? I don't know. Is there going to be a place for us, a house? I don't know. I'm sure God's going to provide. Abraham, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> uh, well, I'm just trusting the Lord and following the Lord. And, you know, you think of that how much faith that took. I think of all those great people in the hall of faith in Hebrews. You know, Noah built an ark by faith. I mean, you think of that. He's told to build this boat. It's just massive, the size of a football field. He's building this thing. It takes him a year plus to, 
I don't know, hold on, how many years it was, I don't remember. But he's, years and years, he's building this great big thing. People are laughing, what's going on? It had never rained on the earth. He's building an ark. Abraham's going to a place he doesn't know anything about. I love that, I love that. And so here, uh, he, our, our futures is a city made by God. Verse nine, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. As, a strange country, as in a strange country, dwelling in, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And he looked for a city whose, who, which, found, hath, excuse me, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he's looking, he's, he's looking through, throughout, through faith. Also, Sarah herself received strength to concede seed. I mean, she's in her 90s. That's a miraculous birth. And so all this by faith. Folks, we have to learn to live by faith. You know, when the bills aren't paid, rather than run down and get a loan or compromise your testimony in some way to get money, just trust the Lord. Work hard, pray about it. My kids remember when I worked so hard to get them through college and, and, and it was just so challenging. I cut meat for 12 hours every Saturday. And I didn't take a lunch break. They actually, the higher ups came in and said, you have to take a lunch break. I said, listen, I want to get in here and get out of here. 12 hours is enough. I didn't want to stay 12 and a half, you know? And I, and I taught seminary in the evenings, Tuesdays and Thursdays, two classes. And I was here filling the pulpit as your interim pastor 15 years ago. And I managed a mission office during the week. And I was building a house at that time. And I mean, you know, cutting my grass when I lived in Anditha Lane over in Georgia and doing all that trying to just keep above water. I didn't want to go in debt. I, I didn't want to do anything but just work very hard to get my kids through. Those were hard times, but rewarding times. And we need to teach people to work hard and trust the Lord. Our, our country's all about debt now. If you want something, just put it on a credit card. Well, it's not really ours. Then we declare bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, if we break an arm doing something, we get a lawyer and we get $100,000 or $300,000 for a broken arm. That's how we're teaching the next generation. We've got a lazy bunch of people in our world. And I, I meet people all the time. I had a rental property and um, had a duplex. And I was there when some people were moving out. And he's telling the guy, move the truck all the way up. They had moved the porch and got the truck almost flush. He said, move it all the way up. I don't want anybody to see me. I'm, I don't want to lose my disability check. And then he's loading this furniture in there, you know. That's the way our world is. Uh, there's a Jewish lady, Judge Judith Shimley, and I know you've seen her. You know who she is. She's just rough on people. She'll say, what's the nature of your disability? I mean, she really rails on them. Oh, really? Well, tell me about that. I'm paying your paycheck, she says. And really, we need almost that attitude, you know, towards the lazy people because we're not teaching anyone to work hard or to live by faith. Everybody wants a check for nothing. And, uh, and as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't become like that. Because there are plenty of Christians who try to get disability when they're not really hurt. There's nothing wrong with getting disability if you need it and deserve it. You understand what I'm saying? But we understand there's so much today going on. Well, anyway, here he's, Abraham and Sarah are living by faith. James 4.14 says, life is a vapor. You appear for a little while. And leaves. Jesus said we live three score and ten, 70 years. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 90, we, if we're fortunate, we can live four score years, 80 years. Life is short. I think we have a half dozen people in this church that are 90 years old. I admire all of them. All of them have their wits about them. It's amazing. They're all sharp-minded. And, and, and that's a long life. Um, but what do we learn in Ecclesiastes? Turn to Ecclesiastes now. We, we are told in chapter 12, we're going to go to chapter 1, but we're told in chapter 12, verse 1, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. When we're young and healthy, we need to serve the Lord. But look at Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 18. Notice the vanity. The word vanity is used or vain is used 39 times in Ecclesiastes. It means waste or emptiness. And it's the word able. And the word able is the Hebrew word that's used to name a person way back in Genesis whose life was wasted by a murderous brother. That's what the word means, waste. He had a wasted life, and a lot of people waste their lives. But in, in chapter 1, verse 18, we learn that education is vain. Notice what it says here. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. So education is in vain. The next two verses, chapter 2, 1 and 2, entertainment's in vain. He says, I said within my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth and, and enjoy pleasure. And behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. It, it, what, what doeth it? And then uh, verses um, 4 to 10, we find excessive materialism is vain. He said, I have made great works. I've built houses and planted vineyards. He goes on and all. I've had pools of water, chapter verse 6, and, and maidens in verse 7. He names all this stuff, and what does he say? It's all vanity. So we, we find that Solomon says, have an education, entertainment, or excessive materialism is all vanity. It's all emptiness. We work hard, we work hard, we work hard. You know, education. When I got my master's or bachelor's, I thought, well, that's great. I can serve the Lord. Don't need any more education. It wasn't too long before I had a desire to go on for more school and, and got a master's. Just kept going and going. And none of it satisfies. Maybe a lot of it's needed for me, it was. But it still doesn't fulfill the gap in your life if you don't have a daily walk with Jesus. You know, the Bible says our sufficiency is in Christ. How many people are going to psychologists to, to find the answer and the meaning in life? They want a purpose. They want to fill a void. You're not going to get that void filled seeing a psychologist. Psychologist is not a bad thing if they're a Christian. If they're not a Christian, they can't take the, the logos and help the psych. And that, those are two words that are biblical. Logos is your word Bible and psych is your word soul. So if you go to a, a Christian counselor, that's great. But how many people go to secular counselors who don't even use the word and can't even help the soul? Listen, to fill the void in your life, it's all about your relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll have that peace and joy in that relationship. But chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, we'll close with this. And I want to use this as my conclusion because he says in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, anchor of hope, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What are the next two words? Fear God. That's how we started out. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. There it is. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. 
the most miserable person on the face of the earth, I think, is a Christian who's out of God's will. Because we, we know what we're supposed to be doing and we're miserable because we're not doing it. Years ago, I met a young lady in a little snack bar in, in Panama, Central America, and we were there, you know, ministering to people in the military. And Becky Palmer sat down at our table and talked to my wife and I, and she's telling us how she'd lost her salvation years ago, and, and she knew she's not right with God. She'd lost her salvation. And I said, well, I said, how do you feel inside? She said, I'm miserable. And I said, you lost your salvation? Oh, yeah, I lost my salvation. I said, you didn't lose your salvation. You know why you're miserable? The Holy Spirit's in there. And he's making you feel miserable because you're living wrong. And she just had this stare on her face and then she broke down and cried and we ended up able to help her some. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a Christian and you're not walking with God, you're miserable. You're living in fear, the wrong kind of fear. We should have reverence for God, but we should live right. We won't have to be shaken in our boots about God. I mean, I would hate to be uh, with Jesus being living. I'd love for Jesus to live here. But if Jesus lived here and I was living wrong, I'd hate to run into him at Walmart. You know? Well, there he is. I remember going in the snack bar and, uh, excuse me, in the shop. They had a little store there on base. And I knew people I'd witnessed to. And I actually saw they had these big round mirrors in the corner. And I actually saw one person that saw me come in. And as soon as they saw me, they bolted to the other end of the store. I, it was just as clear to me that they didn't want to hear about the Lord. And they were a professing Christian. But when you profess to know Christ and you're not living for him, you're miserable. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Fear God. Reverence God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. For us folks, he deals with us right here and now. For the rest of the world, they're going to stand before him at the great white throne judgment. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And, and Lord, I just pray that you speak to hearts. Help us, God, to fear you. Fear you and respect you enough to know that we need to live right. And when we don't, we know uh, judgment's coming. Our chastening is around the corner. And God, thank you for this simple les lesson on a pilgrimage, a journey that we're in right now. And help us to uh, be, be faithful to the end like, like Abraham was and like so many that have gone on before us. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.